Here come the blue shirts. If you weren't awake to play in that kind of game, then you weren't made to play hockey in Madison Square Garden. He's got experience in the streets and in the alleys. <laughs> and in the yes. alleys. He will whoop your ass. <laughs> I'm looking better now than I did before. Ron, it's all means. your fault. It's over for all of you. Once I'm on uh, the team. Well, you're going to have to let me dress you, though. <laughs> oh, 100%. You could have, that, that's going to be Ron Duguay's third act. Molly off the air. Wow. <laughs> Molly off the air. A whole ice. different person. Yeah. Up in the He'll blue be courtside, and I'll be up in the blue seat. <laughs> Here's a third over, a backhand. He's got unbelievable vision, great hands. He's got a great shot. It's about a chance. It's a Kreider. We knew we had to raise the level and compete and, and our effort, and I thought that's what we did today. Moving in, going to the forehand. That was perfect, yeah. The last two periods was great and battled back from a tough first period. I was really happy, obviously, with the way our team responded. The horn sounds here at the Garden, and it is a 5-2 Rangers win. Well, hey there. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. That montage you just heard was courtesy of ESPN. You heard Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, and Mr. 300, Coach Gallant. We have a jam-packed show for you after what was an exciting 5-2 win from the Blue Shirts on Tuesday night, capping off the first half of their season. I'm Andrew Hartz. My podcast compañero Jake Brown is on vacation this week. Yes, he packed his ramen and Cheetos hoodies and taken a much-deserved and needed vacation. But don't you worry, he will be back. For now, though, we have a great show ahead for you as there's plenty going on in Rangers land. We will be recapping the past week of Rangers activity and answering your post-sports plus questions. And a little later in the show, we'll be joined by the great Larry Brooks. But before we do any of that, let's first welcome in Rangers beat reporter for the New York Post. She is the queen of the New York Post, Miss Molly Walker. And her co-host, he is the proud owner of 264 career NHL goals. He's former Ranger great, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, thank you, Andrew. And when I think about those goals, I feel like when I look back, I didn't score enough. So that's why <laughs> whenever I, I, I still enjoy playing alumni games, I'm always chasing that extra goal. And I think a lot of alumni, when they, when they leave the game, some are satisfied and others aren't. And the other thing, I would have loved to have played more seasons as a New York Ranger because the, uh, the connection was such a good fit for me. Having said that, we have a lot to celebrate now with the Rangers uh, going into the break, being tied for first place and coach Gallant having his 300th career win coach Gallant has been a really good coach for the New York Rangers he's definitely making a difference and then there's Kreider <laughs> Kreider's been that player that uh we were expecting the kind of game we're seeing now we were expecting that two or three years ago but now it's finally it's here and it's come at a good time because when you look at this New York Ranger team, we believe that they're really serious about making a run. So Chris Kreider uh, scored his 32nd goal in an impressive game. Uh, not only he, but the whole team played really well. But before that, we celebrated Henrik Lundqvist up in the rafters, well-deserved. 
And uh, I want to be able to discuss that with Molly because you were there. But before I bring in Molly, I have to make a mention. My first season as a New York Ranger was 77. My season uh, was a good season where I felt like I was satisfied having scored 20 goals. But moving on, uh, Jean-Guy Talbot was our coach and he got fired. And then they brought in Freddie Shiro from Philadelphia. And along with Freddie Shiro, his assistant, Mike Nikoluk. Mike Nikoluk was the man that uh, I felt like I communicated with him. He was the voice of Freddie Shiro. And unfortunately, this past week, he has passed away. But he was special to me because as a young player, you need that type of coach that can speak to the players. And uh, he was that guy for me. So all the best to the family. And Mike Nikoluk was special to me. And as you know, he went on and he coached for the Leafs for a couple of years. So Molly, you were at the... Uh, Henrik Lundqvist celebration. Overall, what what were your thoughts? Do you feel like he? I know the speech was something special. What what are your overall thoughts about the Lundqvist evening? Just an absolute magical night. I think the one thing that stood out to me the most was when I got up to the Chase Bridge where the press box is, and I looked down on the ice. Only almost the entire thing was covered in blue carpet, and I remember just other sort of events that they've had, pregame ceremonies and whatnot, other banner raising ceremonies. There was maybe one or two carpets just to, you know, have them walk to to where they need to sit and stuff. But no joke, the entire ice was lined with blue carpet for Henrik Lundqvist to walk wherever he pleased. They had a whole big setup with a huge number 30. And you could just tell how much effort they put into this night for him and, and how much they wanted to show him that he meant to the organization. And it was it was an emotional night for Henrik Lundqvist, but uh, he handled it well. The, he, he really only cried, I think, twice. Once during the pregame, during his pregame speech with the media, he had to compose himself when he was talking about how excited he was to be able to thank all the people in his life and career that have helped him be who he became. And then he got a little choked up watching his his number rise to the rafters, understandably. So overall, just a really great night and kudos to the Rangers for how well they they put it on uh, for him. So it was it was a great memory. Yeah. And I, and I think about uh, moving forward. I mean, the, his team, uh, Lundqvist's team, we can call it his team because he was the leader of the team. They went to the finals in 14 against LA. And unfortunately, they didn't win, but they did get beat by a really good team. Now, we have a team right now that's uh, setting up to be similar to that team in 14 to be good enough to make it to the finals. And the goaltending position is really pro- important. And you, now you got Shesterkin and Nett, who seems to have a lot of the same qualities as Henrik Lundqvist, other than the playmaking of the puck. He's uh, he's that type of guy that uh, he seems very confident as a goaltender. And we're starting to hear the chants, Igor, Igor. So do you think when you're looking ahead, you think Igor can be the new Lundqvist? I think he already is. I think that when you listen to Rangers fans or just, you know, in talking about the transition from Henrik Lundqvist to Igor Shesterkin, I mean, the Rangers goaltending didn't miss a beat. And that's really something shocking considering how prominent Henrik Lundqvist was in net for the Rangers, how he was the one that opponents had to worry about every time the Rangers came up on the schedule is how the hell are we going to get the puck past Henrik Lundqvist? And I think the same thing sort of carried over for Igor Shishchurkin immediately, which is the Rangers have been pretty spoiled by that. Not many organizations can say that they've transitioned from a franchise goaltender as effortlessly as as the Rangers have. And no doubt Igor Shishchurkin is is just a 
an X factor for them back there. And he, you know, like you mentioned, Ron, the way that he's able to play the puck, we saw it Tuesday night over the over the Florida Panthers. Uh, it was a play. It was like a long shot. And he came out to play it and knocked the puck down with his blocker and had it go up to, I think it was Artemi Panarin. And then Panarin sent a leading pass to, to Ryan Strom. And then Ryan Strom hit Chris Kreider for a power play goal. And it was all because Igor Shosturkin was able to have the sense of mind to to push the puck up and to push the play and to catch the Florida Panthers on a long change and led to that power play goal. So it's an absolute game-changing factor. And I thought it was kind of funny how Chris Kreider talked about it after the game. He kind of stopped himself and was like, I love Henrik Lundqvist, Henrik to death, but that was something that he just did not want to do. But Igor does, and it is an absolute game changer for the Rangers. And and you could just tell how much not only the defense, but the team as a whole appreciates his contributions in that way. And it's something pretty rare, I'd say. Yeah. And, and talking about Kreider, he's been impressing us with being able to score goals. Of course, most of them are on the power play, but that's where... If you can have an advantage, especially going into the playoffs, if you have a, a team that is a th- real threat on a power play, teams become so cautious and careful on how they play the Rangers because they don't want to take penalties. And Kreider is the leader with how many goals he's had. He's leading the league. But I uh, I have to mention that when I saw what happened at the end of the last game, where Panarin has an opportunity, he has the puck, and of course Kreider has two goals. And, and as a teammate, you're looking to set him up. And so now... Panarin's going up ice, and Kreider doesn't follow up on wanting to receive the pass to get a, probably an easy empty netter to get that third goal. He peels away, and I'm I'm looking. I'm like, my goodness, he just peeled away. Like he didn't want to. He didn't want to take away from Panarin. So the reason I bring this up, it ha- it has to do with the character, not only of Kreider, but I think of the whole team. I mean, these guys really care for each other. The character of the players really make a difference, and I think we're seeing that with how Kreider wanted Panarin to score his goal, regardless of him getting a hat trick. Did you pick that up right away when you're watching? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that play in particular is really just Chris Kreider in a nutshell. He, especially this season in particular, just the way that he's put the team first and the way that he's wanted to contribute to this team's success. You know, he wasn't going to jeopardize the Rangers not getting the empty net goal just so Artemi Panarin could make a potentially risky pass to get him the hat trick. And and that's just, that's Chris Kreider. That really is, I think that is a testament to his character and just who he is as a person and a player. But I agree, Ron. I think that the Rangers are starting to get a little bit of an, of an identity. And that's something that just last season was non-existent. I don't think the Rangers knew who they were last season at all. And I think this season, it's starting to come into focus for them. And I think that the character of the team is definitely something that's helped with that. And I think that's also something that has come from the top down from Chris Jury and Gerard Gallant in the way that they want the Rangers to approach the game and to and their mental space as well. But I think that it's also, you know, you talk about the six alternate captains that they have, like you said, the dynamic between the team, it's, it's about each other and it's, it's, it's about the success of the team. And that's something that you have to have if you want to make it in the playoffs. And I definitely think that this Rangers team is starting to find that and it's pretty important. Yeah. And for listeners, some of the things that you may not understand sometimes how coaching, the difference in coaches and how they manage their players, how some coaches will allow the players to manage themselves in the dressing room. He allow the leaders to be the leaders. 
because there are some coaches who want to control a little too much. And I'm not going to name names, but there are coaches who really want to take control of that dressing room. And it eliminates the leadership of the players. And he, the certain coaches would just allow players to be players. And that's what we're seeing with Gerard Gallant because he was a player at the highest level. He was a star player. And he knows what it's like for the dressing room to bond together. And a lot of that is just experiencing things together and kind of staying out of it, right? You're there. You get the team prepared on the ice. You get them prepared to play. You do your coaching during the game. Other than that, you let the guys be the guys. Now it's making more sense to me, the six captain thing, right? And it, it kind of takes away some of the pressure on one guy because we've seen it in the past where it's failed. One good example is Ryan McDonough. I felt like it was a little too much for him and he went downhill after that. And so I'm getting now, let's not put all the pressure on one guy. Let's spread it out. Let the guys be all captains. We saw a lot of good stuff going into the all-star break. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the second half plays out. You know, of course, you have to stay away from injuries, but I'm looking forward to seeing how the second half plays out. Yeah, I think that the Rangers are one of the most polarizing teams in the NHL right now. I think I saw an ESPN headline the other day that said, are the Rangers Igor Shosturkin? (laughs) Just just simply put, like, are the Rangers Igor Shosturkin? And, you know, that's a question that I feel like a lot of hockey fans are asking themselves and probably Rangers fans, too, just because of how all over the place They've been this season, but I think that there's like I going back to my point about the identity, I think there's a bit of resiliency that's starting to grow in this Rangers team. And they're playing with a bit more conviction because they're sure of themselves now. I think that going back to last season, like I always said, they didn't have an identity. I think that they second guess themselves a lot and were in their heads a lot. And I think that that part of it is almost completely gone. And I think it's it stem like I said stems from the top down just about the mentality um, of how they approach each and every game and and I'm with you Ron I'm very curious to see how the second half of the season uh, rolls out for the Rangers because they are one or two bad injuries away from from sliding off the wagon and that's uh, an area that I think general manager and president Chris Jury will need to address at least before the. March 21st trade deadline, at least a middle six, top six guy that they can put in to add some depth and and just have a little bit more cushion going into the into the playoffs if, if that's where they end up going. Well, on that note, I think it's time for us to open up the New York Post Sports Plus mailbag and answer some of your questions right after this. I should have said to Sam, you owe me roaming charges for when I called you from, uh, <laughs> from my Israel. phone, Israel, because it didn't work on WhatsApp. So uh, that'll be $25. All right. Well, we've got the New York Post Sports Plus mailbag here, and we have tons of questions to get to. So let's not waste any time. Just get straight on into it. This one comes from Todd Adwar and Charles Tabor. Why are we blowing two goal leads all the time? Besides the recent injuries and IR designations, what else do you think is contributing to the blown two goal leads and otherwise less than stellar play between these last two weeks? I will say that after the Minnesota game, I think in Columbus the night before, head coach Gerard Gallant said that he felt like the Rangers stopped playing. And then the next night in Minnesota against Minnesota, Mika Zibanejad said the exact same thing. And I think that that's part of their problem. The Rangers have talked a lot about needing to put together a 60-minute effort. And I think that once they get out to that two-goal lead, 
they do kind of get a little complacent at times. And that's not a quality that a playoff level team can have because in the playoffs, almost every time that two goal lead is going to just disappear as quickly as it came. But it's already happening to the Rangers in the regular season. So it's probably a good thing that they're realizing that now and that they can't take their foot off the gas pedal just because they're up two goals. I could say, having uh, been a player, that in those situations, it's a constant reminder on the bench, whether it's coming from the coaches or it's coming from the players themselves. That's where the leadership comes into play. It's a constant reminder uh, that we need to play every shift like we're down a goal. You just never let up. And those are that's a learning curve going into the second half. We talk about let's see what happens in the second half going into the playoffs that you just cannot let up. And uh, that's why sometimes when you have too many skilled players on a team, that could happen. That's why you got to have those grinders out there that every time they step on the ice, they're going hard and they're going to finish their check. And it creates an energy. And so that's why you have to have the right balance on your team to have those energy guys out there. All right. Up next is from Bob Ferry. When it appears clear that the best configuration of the top six are 20-93-13 and 10-16-24, why does the coach refuse to put and keep them together? Well, the short answer is obviously in recent games, Capocacco has been on injured reserve. But I Gallant said this past week at practice that he was planning on rearranging his lines during the All-Star break. And I would be pretty shocked if the Rangers don't come out in that configuration after the All-Star break. I really do think that Kako will slot back onto the second line with Panarin and Strom. And I think that Alexi Lafreniere has done well in the last couple of games enough to stay on the top line for the time being. Um, also because I think Gallant likes having Goudreau in the middle of the third line. And I also think that Goudreau needs to be on the third line. Otherwise, the drop-off from the top six to the bottom six is just exponential, especially when when they have injuries and they have a couple of AHLers down there. So I, I really would be surprised if that's not the configuration that the Rangers come out with after the All-Star break, because you, I agree, it is really the only option right now. Next one is from John Olivia. Laff has expressed his willingness to move to right wing. So what is stopping him from getting more playing time with Kreider and Mika? I appreciate Dryden Hunt for the work that he does, but if he's in the top six, you have problems. As a coach, you're you're still trying to figure out the best chemistry and the best, as I had just mentioned, there are certain players that provide energy. Guys who go in the corner, want to go to the corner, come out with the puck in the corners. You can have all skill guys on certain lines. So I think it's just a uh, – Gerard Gallant is, is still experimenting with what he has to see who can be where, who could fit where. And I think we're going to – some of that is going to go away. He's going to set his lines and keep it the way he thinks would work going into the playoffs. I agree. I think Dryden Hunt definitely should be in the bottom six. I think he brings a lot to the bottom six. But yeah, when he's in the top six, I think that it's it's usually due to injuries. But like Ron mentioned, it's also just to add a bit of grind to those lines, to those skill lines. But if Alexi Lafreniere can't hang on to that top line spot, 
then who is Gallant really going to turn to? He has to turn to the Goudreaux and the Dryden Hunts on the team. So it's kind of all about personnel who is available as well. You got to be able to adjust. Absolutely. Up next is from Jake Wooten. Is Kako expected to be ready to go after a two-week break? And you know what? Actually, I'm going to throw in as well, too. What about Adam Fox? Because now he's down. Is um, is he expected to be ready anytime soon? Yes, they're both going to be ready after the All-Star break. That is the expectation. Okay, easy enough. <laughs> uh, how about this <laughs> from James Kolpas. Could you please set the record straight? Does Georgiev and Chesterkin get along? You've seen the congrats lines after victories. Seems odd. You know, I, I appreciate this question. Obviously, we're not in the locker room. We don't know the exact dynamics between teammates and such. But what I will say is I think that Alex Georgiev, I don't want to say is checked out, but I think that his heart isn't fully with the Rangers right now. I think he's had a, a rough couple seasons in New York, uh, just in terms of watching his playing time go down, taking a backseat to Igor Shishchukin. I think Alex Yurgiv, I know Ron disagrees with me here, but I think Alex Yurgiv could be a starter on some other NHL teams. And I think that he feels that way too. I know that Yurgiv is very confident in who he is and, and what he can do. So I think that he views himself as a starter as well. And that naturally is going to make you feel a little left out, I guess, maybe, and maybe a little not as invested in the team when you think that you could be a in a bigger role somewhere else. I'm not saying that Georgiev doesn't want the Rangers to win, isn't invested in the team, but I think that he's not as happy as he could be. And I think that that's what some people are seeing from an outsider point of view in terms of how he reacts to Shusterkin in the, in the high five lines and stuff. So, but I, I wouldn't make too much of it. I think it's just a, a personal thing for Georgiev if I had to speculate. Yeah, I would say that I wouldn't make too much of it either, but I would make something of it. Uh, you just can't have any of that in the dressing room. And body language tells you, yeah, there seems to be, there has been issues at different times. Now, I appreciate the fact that a guy is unhappy because he's not playing. I want a guy that wants to play. He wants to compete. He wants to start. He wants to play. I appreciate all that. But if you're not called on to play, you got to be a team guy. And those that body language, trust me, players see it. When fans see it, the players know it. And you just can't have any of that in the dressing room. So I think it would be in the Rangers' best interest to come up with some sort of good solution at the trade deadline. Well, they also apparently don't follow each other on Instagram. So if that's a sign for anything. Oh, please. Doesn't Artemi Panarin not follow a single ranger? <laughs> Artemi Panarin walks you the can't, beat You can't make crowd. anything of that. <laughs> Social media beats tale as old as time. Uh, let's do one more. We're going to do this one from Fred Dietz. And it's, uh, it's for Dukes. He says, hey, Dukes, in 1980, when Barry Beck arrived, what was the general feeling in the room when they officially announced the trade? I mean, after a trip to the 1979 finals, which was miracle on ice if there were any in my opinion montreal did wake up after game one and i feel like it was the kids that were manhandled by bob ganey and the other villains hedberg nilsson sarge espo vad you gresh and dave played best you just got beat by an older team was jd playing hurt in that series well that that's a loaded question um <laughs> let me just let me uh let me go back to uh, the start of the question which was how do you feel after you've lost like four or five teammates that you went to the Stanley Cup finals with well you get mixed feelings cuz you're thinking okay we're getting Barry back and the guy was a monster of a man impactful player that you're thinking he's going to make a difference, but you lost four or five of your good friends. And one of the reasons why we made it to the finals is 
a lot of those guys. And so I, I would say that most of us would have not agreed to want to do that. When you make it to the finals, there's not much missing on your team, right? And so they could have just gone out and got one piece instead of trading three or four players because that was those guys were the kind of the heart and character of the team. And so the following season, it did make a difference. Now, I, you know, we did like Barry. Uh, he became a, a friend to all of us, a guy who competed hard, would fight for us. So well, like Barry, but we saw we saw that it was different in the dressing room. As far as the finals in Montreal, I would say that we uh, they didn't manhandle us. A lot of uh, when I go back and I talk to some of the veterans on the team, they they the comment they make is Nick Fotiu should have been playing. They pulled him out of the lineup thinking we're going to go play a skill game. Well, Montreal had some big big defensemen and some forwards that would run around a little bit, but they had some big defensemen and they, they got physical with us. I think that it may made a difference if we would have had Nick Fatia in the lineup. Other than that, I think we just kind of ran out of steam because we, the, one of the reasons we got there is that uh, we had a lot of fun on the ice and off the ice. And, uh, and so I think we just ran out of steam. Other than that, I don't think we were manhandled. Well, hopefully no one has run out of steam on the podcast yet because it's time to welcome in Larry Brooks, our Hall of Fame beat writer for the New York Post, coming up next. I think I've known everybody for over 40 years now. <laughs> Hockey Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer at the Post, Larry Brooks. I, I think there's room for different styles. There's room for different resumes. Are you sick of me after spending three straight days in the car next to this face? <laughs> it was a rather pleasant experience, I have to say. Because you've been doing this, what, for over 40 years. It's an important part of the experience to understand the fabric of a team. Giving Henrik Lundqvist his nickname is, is one of the coolest things in my entire career. He blames or gives credit to you for that nickname, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Lara, I'm in agreement with you. No. <laughs> okay. It was great to get to know Brooksy, and he became part of my journey. You know, he was there every day. One year, the Islanders gave out bathrobes that uh, lasted for about a game. You know, guys were walking around in their bathrobes, like, what, what is this? We're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. All right, can we ask Larry a, a, a yeah. hockey question? We- it's a two part answer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yes, welcome Larry Brooks. You can follow Larry at NYP underscore Brooksy and in the New York Post and at Post Sports Plus. Larry, I've gotten a lot of questions about Ryan Strom recently. You've reported that talks are still ongoing, but is there anything else you you can report to put our listeners' mind at ease, particularly the ones who are hoping he'll be signed? Do you expect a deal to get done? I think there's a I think there's a distance to go from what I understand. I what both parties want this to work out. Strom wants to stay. Chris Drury wants him to stay. Most of the time when the parties have the same objective, it, it gets done. But as I'm told, there's there's work to be done. And I'm not sure how much negotiating there's hard negotiating there's going to be now. You know, generally teams break it off when when you get closer to the playoffs. I I imagine there's time between now and the trade deadline. But another important aspect of, of this uh, story is that the Rangers are not going to trade Strom at the deadline if they don't have him signed to an extension. They are, you know, they're going to ride it out. They're not going to kneecap their own team by trading their their second line center. And I think if it's not done by the trade deadline, then they'll revisit it after the season ends. Um, you know, there's a lot here. You know, Ryan Strom plays with an edge. He's obviously the the perfect partner for 
for Panarin, but the Rangers have so many commitments to older players, long-term commitments to older players already that they need to be sure about Strom. And, and so Strom, I, I think, you know, Strom is playing for a contract. Um, the Rangers want to get him under contract, but again, we, we know, and we've been talking about this since the summer and it, it is going to uh, remain a fact for the next uh, two, three, four years. The cap situation is very tight. A long answer to the fact that it's not done. Both parties are trying to bridge the divide, but it's probably going to be a bit. Can't imagine the Rangers without the bread and butter line, but yes, we'll see what happens. Lots has been made of Gerard Gallant's line changes recently. Though most decisions have come depending on who's been available, do you think Alexi Lafreniere should stay in the top six? Why or why not when Filipino and Capocacco come back? Yeah, I do. I think he's I, I think he's earning that opportunity. I think he's taking advantage of the opportunity. I, you know, I don't I don't want to get carried away. He's had you know a couple of good games, but I, I think we've talked about this before. I've written about this a, a number of times now. That the only way it makes sense to me is to have Lafreniere move to the right side. It just doesn't make sense that you're going to have this first overall pick playing third line left wing for the next three, four years, because, you know, he slots in behind Panarin and Kreider, or he slots in behind Kreider and Panarin, however you want to, however you want to uh, tab them. So, you know, you're not going to get enough from Lafreniere playing on the third line. You're just not. So he's going to have to move to the right side. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Zibanejad and Kreider are very willing partners for him. And, you know, they do most of the work. He sniffs around. He's, he's extremely opportunistic. When Goodrow plays up their third line, the third line is, is has no definition at all. And I think that's really one of their issues. And I think that was an issue going into the season that you could see that the third line was kind of going to be made up of leftover players to try and fit in with Goodrow. And what I would like to see the Rangers do is define the third line. And I think, you know, they may have to go out and get a couple of guys. But, yeah, that's um, – I'd like to see Kako and, and Lafreniere in the top six – and I'd like to see Goodrow playing on the third line. Larry, I'd like to do a follow-up on Lafaniere. I know you've recently have talked about him, and you also have mentioned with the way the team is set up right now, having a really good first half, they're going to be a team that, with a couple of nice pieces, they can go deep in the playoffs. And you have mentioned that they could use a top-six guy who's more of a physical guy, a little older guy. But in order to get a guy like that, you're going to have to give something up, more than likely one of your younger players. So my question to you is, and let me also say that Kreider, when he talks about Lafaniere, he says, sky's the limit with this kid. And I'm not so sure he's that franchise player that that as a first round overall is going to be that guy. So my question to you, and this is just out of the box, is he tradable? Could he be that guy that potentially to get an impact player, could you consider trading Lafaniere a first overall pick? Well, if you're if you're talking about Nathan McKinnon, yes. If you're talking about Austin Matthews, yes. Is it inconceivable that he could be traded? I don't think it's inconceivable, but I, I I think that it's gonna be it would be very difficult to find a fit. And and I think and the cap enters into this too. You'd be trading Lafreniere, who's on entry level for one more season, for a player who presumably would be making somewhere north of six million dollars if if we're talking about that kind of player. And I don't know that the Rangers can do that. Um I, I you know, I, I don't think the idea is outlandish, 
but I, I think it'd be a very, I think it's a difficult needle to thread, you know, because you, you, you wouldn't want to get a guy who's coming toward the end of his second contract and then needs to be re-signed as a free agent within a year or two. So, you know, everything would have to coalesce. You'd have to get the player with the contract. I, I think it's unlikely that Lafreniere would be traded, but, you know, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think Chris Drury is, is, is shopping him. Let's say, let's put it that way. So if not Lafreniere, which young player do you think is most likely to be on the chopping block? Well, I think those Lundquist is, is right now their blue chip out there. Um, I think Braden Schneider has won the job. You know, he's been in the league. He's been, how many games has he played? Seven, eight? He looks like he's played for five years, I, honestly. Um He's polished. I mean, he's he's poised. He um, he can play in the offensive zone. He's stiff in the D zone. And and I just don't see Braden Schneider coming out, you know, unless there's an injury or unless he goes through a dip, which you know, which he might. But but again, he he is their third pair right defenseman. And so I think Nils Lundqvist is 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 the young guy who is more most likely to be traded. And and, and you know, listen, I. I you know, I, I think we saw flashes of, of Lundqvist's talent. I think he's certainly going to be a, a, a good NHL defenseman. I think there are teams around the league that, that would love to get him. Uh, what kind of a package he would be in is, remains to be seen. But I, I, think, um, I think there's a lot of value in, in, uh, in Lundqvist, so he's the guy. And so, Larry, uh, Kreider, I love Kreider because uh, you never know what's going to come out of him as far as his comments on certain things. And when talking about Shesterkin – he, uh, they were asking him about his uh, puck control, his playmaking with the puck, and then he referred back to Lundqvist. He said, I love Lundqvist, but he could make a pass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Hank was a little sensitive about that. Uh, <laughs> no, he was. He was. Yeah, like after game, yeah, he wasn't sensitive about too much after games. He really he wasn't. But, you know, every year and there, he had a little trouble with that. No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, it's true. And listen, this adds a dimension. This adds a dimension that, honestly, to the Rangers that they, they've never had. They've never had a guy who could move the puck like this. And what I was interested in last night is uh, when Shesterkin was talking about the advantages of being able to move the puck. And he said, well, this stops my, you know, in so many words, my my players don't have to get hit as much or, you know, my players don't have to be in, in, in the end. And that's what Marty Brodeur always talked about when he would play the puck, even if it was, even if he didn't get it out, you know, and he, and he, and he was as good as, as playing the puck as anybody, obviously they even made the rule to stop him from playing the puck. So, but he would always talk about, I don't care if I don't get it out of the zone. If I can stop Dano from taking that hit in the corner, if I can stop Nieder, you know, Niedermeyer from, from getting hit, that's why I'm doing it. And I always laughed, I mean, we're going a little off topic. I always laughed at, at the player, at the people who tried to minimize Brodeur because he would only make 21 or 22 or 25 saves. And obviously he was playing behind a great, a great team. Uh, a team maybe with as, as stout a defense as we've seen in, in, you know, since Montreal's big three. But one of the reasons there were so few shots is, is because he was able to move the puck. You know, I mean, he was one of the reasons they faced so few shots. So, you know, so Shesterkin citing that as a reason, as, as an advantage of playing the puck, I, you know, really resonated with me last night. 
Yeah, Shostrickin really wanted that assist on Chris Carter's power play goal. But Larry, this was great as always, and uh, we'll chat again next week. Okay, thanks, guys. Mom, like not now. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting into this with you right now. And that wraps up episode 75, the Ryan Reeves edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Well, thank you, Andrew Hartz, for this show. Another good show. And I look forward to the All-Star Weekend. Now, speaking of the All-Star Weekend, we have Molly. You're, you're heading out to Las Vegas yet again this year. How much are you looking forward to the upcoming weekend and uh, the few days you'll get to spend in Sin City? I think after the All-Star Weekend, I will have spent a week in Vegas this year alone, which is a lot of time to spend in Las Vegas to any Anybody that's been there knows that. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's the freaking All-Star Weekend. It's it's a it's a huge event. It's a fun event. I think this is one of the bigger ones since the pandemic. So I, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to meet a lot of national media people and just get away from the season for a bit and have some fun. And, and plus, it's, it's not a bad gig that it's in Vegas. So very much so looking forward to it. But Ron, I'm curious, what was your all-star appearance like from what you can remember well from what i can remember and i remember it well why because i took care of myself i went there (laughs) and that's the difference between today's all-star game and weekend compared to mine it was you know there wasn't a whole lot going on other than one game and you're playing with the best and you're honored to be there it was my first and it was in washington we got to go to uh, the white house met at the time was president reagan met him and gordy howe was there so it was a nice time celebrating hockey but the game itself like the evening before because Gretz was there and I can't remember all the players but they were all out partying because for them it was just like another game right they'd been there a few times and I'm like I'm going to tomorrow's game wanting to try to win that car like I wanted to be the best player on the ice I actually went to bed I was in bed by 10 like I never did that and so I was really serious about the game like competing hard back then you watch the games back then we went hard it was like a regular game without any big hits it was like a regular game and and uh, I played the game and I felt like I had a good game, but not, I think it was Mike Bossy who ended up scoring. He might have scored three goals in that game, so he was a player of the game. But I just really enjoyed it because how often do you get to go an all-star game? Well, listen, it's always a good time in Las Vegas. Just hopefully you don't, you know, lose your shirt and, you know, you're able to get home safe and everything. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see what goes on out there. But until then, uh, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You could also give us a five-star rating on on Spotify. Definitely appreciate it. For number 10, Ron Duguay, Molly Walker, I'm Andrew Hartz. We are off next week as the Rangers are as well. We will return the 17th. Enjoy the All-Star break and your Valentine's Day. Give a kiss to someone you love, will you please? Thanks for listening to Up in the Blue Seats. Stay safe, folks. Later.